0: So you got your Bibles open, keep them open, and we're in that passage that Janie just read. But I want you to back up and look at the beginning of chapter 2, because it's this central passage. We keep referring to it, because in the book of Philippians, it's a central passage to understand the whole book, and it's kind of like right here in the middle of it, and it's really what Paul's still talking about. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he gives us the, the church and us this really, really significant challenge. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that's a big ask like that's a that's a high bar that he's raised for us because it's countercultural and it's not our nature that's not how we're wired that's not how we normally view the world we we don't look at others as more significant than ourselves that's not how we think um we don't we don't look to the interests of others in the same way that we look to our own interests and that's what he's saying you're going to look to your own interests also just like you do your own interests look to the interests of others and so he raises the bar really really high and that's why we keep coming back to it, because it's so central to understanding his view of this church and how the church should relate to each other, how they should interact, is to, in humility, like, clothe ourselves in humility and consider other people as more significant, more important than yourself. And that's, that's really, really, really hard. And then a few verses later, he's going to say, and as you do that, do it without grumbling or complaining. And you're like, oh, man. That's, at least I had that, right? I could complain about having to do it. It's like, no, we're going to do it with a joyful attitude. And you're like, well, what do you know, Paul? And he's like, well, he's in prison. He's writing a book of joy. So I guess he knows something. And it's this challenge that Paul puts up there. And he's like, you're going you're to need some help with this. <laughs> he, he doesn't just say it and move on. Oh, yeah, do that and I'm, let me tell you what's next you ought to do. No, he says it. And then he immediately points us to the gospel. Verse 5, he says, have this mindset in you, which was also in Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he became obedient, he took on flesh and became obedient to the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. He's equal with God, but he submitted to the will of the Father, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so he says, look to the gospel, because when Jesus died on that cross, he set you and me free from our self-centered ways. He he produced the only path that we have of not just thinking about ourselves all the time because he laid his life down to break us free from that. And so he he says, look to the gospel, but he also, in the context of that, he's given Jesus as the ultimate example. Look, Look to what Jesus did. He didn't consider his needs first. He put our needs first when we went to the cross. He, he died the death that you and I should have had to die. He took the pain, the, the punishment, paid the penalty for sin that you and I should have had to pay. So look to Jesus as the ultimate example of this humility, as the ultimate example of putting others first, as the ultimate example of meeting the needs of others. And then he says, you, you, you also have me as an example. And he doesn't say it outright, but all through this letter, Paul is riding with joy from prison and is expressing that same kind of humility. Like Paul becomes an example in just how he writes the letter. I mean, you remember Paul was just saying like, hey, if I, if I die here in prison, that's a win. That's a win for me. That, I get to go to heaven. I get to be with Jesus. Like that's, that's a great victory for me. But if I stay, if I remain, then that's ministry and that's, that's living. I'm going to live for Christ. And so that would be good for you if I stay because I can continue this ministry. He goes, it's almost like he's saying, I'd rather go ahead and go on to heaven. But I'm going to put, put the needs first, the ministry first. And so I think I'm going to stay. And so Paul has this attitude. He's rejoicing in prison even though he's confined because he knows the gospel's being advanced. So it's always about others. He's always putting others first. And In this passage in chapter 2, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and it's okay. It's for the glory of Jesus. And so Paul says Jesus is the ultimate example, and then as we're reading the letter, we see Paul is a pretty good example of that too. And then it almost feels like Paul says, but you, you might need some real-life examples. Because, I mean, Jesus is God, and he is our example, and he is ultimate, and we're supposed to be conforming to the image of, of the Son. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're, that's the goal for us, is to be like Jesus. But we know he's God, we know he's perfect, and we know that, wow, I'll never, I'll never be Jesus, but I'm striving. And then you look at Paul, and you're like, well, who's this guy? I mean, yeah, Paul, he's the greatest missionary of all time. And He took the gospel to places where the gospel never been, been preached or proclaimed. He started churches all over the world. He was beaten and suffered so many different things for the sake of the gospel, and then he is in prison just writing a letter that basically says, Rejoice! God's on the move! Rejoice! And so we look at Paul, and we're like, He's elite, special forces Christian. I mean, I'm not not thinking I'll be like Paul. Now, Paul himself would say he was the least of all the apostles, the last of the apostles, and, and he was the chief of sinners. But it almost feels like a humble brag in that moment, right? But he is an apostle. I mean, he got in. And you're like, hey, I, I, need, I need something real life. And so as he's continuing on, he starts telling them about a couple people. It's, to me, it's almost like he gives a couple real life examples. Oh, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I don't have anybody like Timothy. I, have you heard of Timothy? He's always putting other people first. He's more concerned for you than he is for his own welfare. Once again, real life example of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. In humility considering others more significant. Not just meeting his own needs, but meeting the needs of the people around him. That's Timothy. And he says, I'm sending him to you. I don't have anybody else like him. He's mentored him. He's taught him. He's trained him. And he's ready to unleash him on ministry. And so Timothy is this real live example. And then he turns in this passage today in verse 25, and he says, I'm also going to send Epaphroditus back to you. And I don't know if you know who Epaphroditus is. Maybe you thought that sounds like a condition somebody might have. Like it's kind of a weird name, Epaphroditus. But Epaphroditus, we, that's the cool thing about it. We don't know a whole lot about him. He came from Philippi. He was a part of the church in Philippi. And they sent him to take care of Paul. And Paul's writing here to tell them, I'm sending him back to you. And there's some indication here in how he's writing that it would have been a surprise to them that he was coming back because they sent him to go take care of Paul, kind of with a, hey, go take care of Paul until he doesn't need it anymore. You stay with him until the end, whatever that looks like. And Paul's saying, I'm about to send him back to you. And he's telling them why he's sending him back to you. But as he does so, he commends Epaphroditus and holds him up as another example, as another role model of what this looks like. Epaphroditus becomes a real flesh example of putting the needs of others first and considering how you can meet the needs of others, considering people more significant than yourself. Epaphroditus is another example, and it's one that they knew. He was, he was with them. He was in the church at Philippi, and they sent him to Paul, and Pauls sent him back saying, hey, you need to receive him with joy and with honor because he's a real-life example of everything that we've been talking about. He's a role model. And, And the reality is that we need role models, but we need different kind of role models than the world's presenting to us all the time. And Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul, and obviously, ultimately, Christ, are these role models, these examples that we're supposed to, hey, this is what it looks like. I need to see that sometimes. I can read it. I know what it's saying. Okay, yes, I need to consider Others more significant than myself, but what really helps me is when I see what that looks like. This is how that plays out in people's lives around me, and I go, "Oh, that okay? That's what that's what I can do. That's how I can approach this mindset that Paul is talking about." I look to Jesus, and I look to others, and I see it. And so, here is a role model for us in this guy named Epaphroditus. it just this is the only place he's even mentioned in Scripture, but even that alone is pretty cool. Like he got in the Bible. In Philippians, he's mentioned, he's in the Bible for all of eternity. And that's cool because it's a good thing that he says about him. There's other people in the Bible that got in there and it wasn't good. Like Demas, he's mentioned and Paul's like, yeah, Demas, he loved the world and he deserted me. He left me here all alone. If if he made it into heaven, he's got Paul hanging that over his head for all eternity. Like Demas gets up from the campfire, he's like, I'll be right back. He's like, will you, really? I'm not, thanks, Paul. Like, He makes it in the Bible and not just makes it, but Paul throws these accolades at him. He, in just one sentence, he says five things about Epaphroditus that kind of put him up as a role model, something that we can attain, aspire to attain. It says, verse 25, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and a minister to my need. And in those five words, we see an example of what it looks like to live this life that Paul's calling us to, that that God is calling us to. And what we need to do is look at him as an example. And here's what Paul says about him, but we need to bring it to us because the challenge that Paul gives the church uh, on how we're supposed to approach each other and live is for every single one of us. It's not just for a few people that Paul talks about. Epaphroditus is just an example, and we're all supposed to be like this. We're all supposed to be like this. So we need to move it from the he, what's talking about Epaphroditus, to the we, what this means to us. And so we're just going to look at these five characteristics in the context of the story that Paul is telling here so we can see how we live this out with an example like this, how we embrace that. And the first thing Paul says, that first word he calls him his brother. And what it points to as we move from he to we is that we are all family we, the Crosspoint Community Church body, we're family together. We're brothers and sisters part of the family of God. That, that's, that's who we are. Just before I walked up here, Lisette was uh, telling me something about the slides back there, and she said, uh, Lance, I'm, I'm, I'm old. And I said, you're old enough to be my sister. And she said, "I am your sister," and I'm like, "That's that's exactly what we're about to talk about. We are family. We're brothers. We're sisters, because God has brought us into His family. God has adopted us into His family. And this truth that we're family it it starts to inform. It starts to make us think differently about each other. It's not just a random group of people that we decide to gather together with worship for worship. This is our family. These are our people." Look around, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, united because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and that changes how we approach each other, and that changes the importance of this whole thing that we call church. But it also reminds us that we, at one time, didn't belong. Like this idea that we're family should point us to the truth that before Christ rescued us, we were cut off from him. We were separated. We were alienated. We were isolated. We didn't have a belonging in a world and a culture that's starving for community and connection and brotherhood. Like we didn't have that. Christ gave that to us and he, as he brought us into his family. That was the only hope that we had. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Remember... That you were at that time, before Christ, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were alienated, separated, we didn't have a place to belong, but Jesus brought us close. We were far off and removed from him because of our sin and our rebellion. We walked away from God, and Jesus brings us back when there was no other way. In verse 18, if you go down that same passage, he says, For through Jesus, him, we both have, the both as Jews and Gentiles. We all have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you and I are no longer strangers and aliens, but you and I are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're family. We're, we're together because God put us together. No, no matter what your story is, how you got here and became a part of this, God was working in this to put you in this body and this family so that you could be and approach this whole thing as family. And so Epaphroditus is from this church in Philippi, and he's been sent to minister to Paul. And while he was there or on the way somewhere, he got sick. And as he was sick news got back to the church in philippi that he was sick and he was almost to the point of death and they were worried about him and they became very distressed we sent him and he's going to die and so epaphroditus got distressed not because he was sick but because they were worried about him his family was worried about him and it created this longing in him i want to be with my family Paul's like, it's good, I need to send him back to you. Receive him with joy because he was so worried about you because you were so worried about him. That's what family looks like. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like, that we care so much for each other that when one of us is hurting or in trouble, we're in distress about it. When when we're not here, there should be this longing to be back with my people. That's what we are praying and hoping God does in your heart as a part of this body. It's like, hey, if I'm not here, I need to be back. Not because it's an obligation or a duty or it's Sunday and that's what we do. But no, these are my people and I'm part of this family and I need to be with my family. I felt this the last two weeks I've been out uh, because of two Sundays I've been out doing base camps with IGO and sending teams all over the place. And this morning I woke up with this kind of this excitement like, oh yeah, I get to go see the people. I get to be with my people. That's that's the way it ought to be. And and even last Sunday I was with the youth group, this group over here, the sea turtles over here, and we were training them and sending them. Uh, to New York for the week. And you're going to get to hear about that at the end of the service and some amazing things. But I was with them, so I was kind of with my people, but it's almost like the cousins that we don't talk about, you know? Like we kind of, <laughs> we keep you all in a fence of some sort. That's what we do. And it was good, but like this is, this is, this is what I was longing for. And we need, we need to have that, like we are family. This, this should inform how we see each other, how we view what this is, what God is doing here. He's put us together through thick and thin to stand with each other, to walk with each other, to support each other. And so we're family. Paul says, is my brother. He's not just some good person doing some good things. No, he's a brother. He's put his faith in Jesus, and that's the only path for anyone in here to become a part of the family. If, you're not, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus and only in Jesus, then you're not part of the family, but you're invited into the family. We, we would love to talk to you about that today. And the only way you can get in on this family is to be adopted by God into the family. That's how we all are here. we were adopted. We were separated. We were cut off. We were isolated. And God adopted us because of his great love. And he brought us into this family. And so we celebrate that. And then we embrace that. These are my people. I want to be with my people. And then he says he's a fellow worker. And it reminds us that we are all called to be workers. We are all workers. We're family And we're working together. We're serving together. There's a role for every single one of us to play. The Bible doesn't give us, when the Bible talks about the church, the Bible doesn't give anybody the role of spectator. You just show up and watch. The Bible says the church, everybody's been given a gift. If you're a believer, you've been given a gift, and that gift is for the common good, for building up the church, for building up other believers, and you come and you serve. And Paphroditus showed up with a, with a gift for Paul, and he said, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to work beside you, and became a fellow worker because that's what God calls us to do, is to work. Now, here's the deal. When we're not serving, we're not serving actively in the body, when you're, if you're not on a team, if you're not volunteering, if you're not serving anyway anywhere, here's the problem with that. It, it leads us to think self-centeredly about this whole thing. If I'm not serving anywhere, when I get up and I'm coming up here on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever I'm coming to, I'm thinking mostly about myself. What am I going to get out of this? How's this going to be a blessing to me? What, what's, how's God going to speak to me today? And all that's great because that's what he does. When we worship him and we open his word, he speaks to us and he blesses us. And coming here is a blessing to me. The problem is when that's the only thing we think about. But when I'm serving and I'm actively involved in working side by side with God's people, it changes my mindset because I'm not just thinking about what I'm going to get out of it. I think about what I'm going to give. I think about how I'm going to serve, how I'm going to meet needs. And it changes my approach. And so if you really want to adopt this idea of what does it look like to consider the needs of others, not just my own. What does it look like to consider people as significant, more significant than myself? Well, I think it starts with you jumping into serving. we got a place for you right here, right now to serve. And it will change your whole outlook and perspective about this. We are workers. And then he calls him a fellow soldier. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was leading the people to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and they were coming under threats from the other uh, nations and other cities around them. And they were gonna—they were threatening to attack them. And so Nehemiah said, "Don't stop working. Work with one hand—you got your tool to work with—and the other hand, I want you to hold a sword or some kind of a weapon." And what Nehemiah painted a picture of is, "Hey, we're working together and we're fighting together. We're workers and we're soldiers." And Paul has already used this language of soldiers in in the book of Philippians. But right here, he calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. He's a fellow worker. We're serving together. And he's entered into the battle. And what you and I need to know is that if you're serving and if you're working and you're joining this body and you're embracing it like a family and you get involved here, you've entered into a battle. You've entered into a spiritual fight that's always going. And you're getting yourself, putting yourself up on the front lines. I'm not trying to trick you. Like, this is, this is real. This is always around us all the time. And when you are joining in with God's people, you're really engaging. When you're standing side by side and you're working for the kingdom, you're investing your life in the gospel, you've entered into a spiritual battle. This is not a pleasure boat cruise. This is a battleship. You have a role. You have a responsibility. You have something. Hold the line. Like, we're working together because there's a battle going on around us all the time. Stephen Lawson In his book, Philippians for You, said it this way. The same about Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier is true for every believer today. The more we serve God, the more we'll find ourselves on the front lines of spiritual warfare. The devil's not going to oppose someone whose life is making little difference for the kingdom of God. It's the believer who is working for God, whose life is counting for time and eternity, who is putting their nose to the grindstone, who most often finds themselves in the midst of the spiritual battle all servants should be soldiers. All workers must be warriors. We're soldiers. It's a battle that we're in. It's you coming in and joining the team. I, yeah, I want to serve. I want to work. I want to play my part. I'm going to use my gifts. I want to play my role. That's awesome. Come on. Just know we're in battle together. We need each other because this is a battle. The enemy will come against us while we're serving this way because we're trying to, with God's help and only through his help, push back the darkness. So he's going to come against us. So as Epaphroditus has learned, like, this is not easy. He went with a message. he He went with ministry. He went to help Paul, and he found himself in the middle of a battle, found himself almost to the point of death because of the spiritual battle that was going on. And so we are a family, we are workers, and we are soldiers. And then Paul turns it. And he says, oh, and to you guys, what, what you guys see him at is just as important. And he uses two words, messengers and ministers. He was your messenger and minister to my need. And so it just reminds us, as Epaphroditus is a role model, he to the we, that we are all messengers. Epaphroditus, Paul calls him a messenger. The word that he uses there is the same word, apostle. But he's not using it as in the title of apostle. He's using it in the literal sense of one who is sent. And he's saying, Epaphroditus was sent by the church to help me. And when you see this idea of being sent throughout the Bible, it's very, very clear. If you're a Christ follower, you've been sent. You're on mission. You've been sent with a message to share. And and see, when you walk in here and you're thinking about yourself, which is so easy for me to do, I don't think about the fact that God has given me a message to share with someone today. Epaphroditus, the the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison, he was suffering, he had suffered even getting there, he was in trouble, and they're like, go encourage him. Epaphroditus, go bring him some encouragement. You have a message of encouragement, go encourage Paul. I mean, he got there and Paul's like having a party because he's rejoicing in prison, but he's like, go encourage him. (laughs) We are sent with a message of encouragement. You might be sent today to this place because somebody in this room needs a message of encouragement. Maybe you're sent across the room or down the aisle or behind you like a little bit because somebody needed a message of encouragement. And when you walk in thinking, what am I going to get out of this today? You miss the opportunities to carry the message and share that message with somebody around you. We're sent across the room. We're sent to each other all the time. This is a hard battle that we're in, so we need to encourage each other. And so carry that message and look to others and meet those needs by sharing encouragement. But we're sent ultimately with the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world, which means we're sent to the other side of the street or the other side of the town or across the tracks. or Just like this group, we we sent them as a church to New York City, to people who have very little access to the gospel, representing countries from all over the world, to share the message of hope with the world we got a student, two students in Germany. We have another student in Honduras right now because God has called them and the church has sent them to share this message of hope, this gospel message with people in Honduras and Germany that need to hear it. And so we are all sent. The question is, where has God sent you? When you hear about an opportunity to go, you go, yeah, I'm already sent. Let's go. How, how much does it cost? Where do I get the money? How do I raise the money? Let's go. Because we're all messengers and we're all sent. And then we're all ministers. The church sent Epaphroditus to Paul for a lot of reasons, but mainly to meet his needs. Uh, We find out later that they they brought a love offering, that they had taken up an offering, financial offering, to give to Paul. Um, they, they brought that offering to him. I don't know if they brought him supplies. I don't know if they brought him some of Grammy's sugar cookies. I don't know what they brought him, but they, they came to meet his needs. He's, he's been taken in prison. He's without a lot of things. Let's go help him. Let's go meet his needs. And when Paul talks about Epaphroditus bringing help, bringing money, bringing supplies, he says, he was a minister to me in my need. The word he uses is the same word they would talk about with the priests in the temples performing the religious worship ceremonies, of making sacrifices for the people. They were ministering before the Lord for the people. It's the same word. Paul says, what he did in meeting my needs is ministry. What he did in meeting my needs is, is sacred and it's holy because God is using it to meet just fundamental basic needs. And one of the things we say around here at Crosspoint is that everybody at Crosspoint who's a member is a minister. And this is why it makes sense. Because you've got needs around you, and you're called to be a minister to meet those needs. You see a need, you meet a need. Somebody's in trouble in our body. The body comes alongside them to meet those needs. That's what God has called us to do. You all have a ministry to play, and it's just taking care of each other sometimes. Sometimes it's joining in God's work and meeting needs in our community. We ought to be leading the way as a church and meeting needs in our community, partnering with other churches that have the same message of hope and meeting needs in our community. And we ought to meet needs in New York and all over the ends of the earth because we are all in ministry. We're all called to ministry. We all have a role to play in this. And when you see these things laid out, you say, Man, wow, Paphroditus is a pretty amazing guy. And that's the that's the bar that Paul is raising, saying every single one of us ought to be like this. This is the mindset, this is what it looks like in real life to consider others more significant than yourselves, to look not just my own to my own interests, but also the interests of others. It looks like Epaphroditus who is part of the family. He's working, he's fighting. He's got a message to share, and he's, he's just meeting needs. He's meeting Paul's needs. And it's an incredible picture, and it's an incredible role model. And like I said, we need role models. But sometimes what we need is completely different kind of role models. We need these kinds of role models. We need the Epaphroditus type of role models in our life. I mean, there's so much in this story that just these few verses, but like just, that, just the fact that they were so worried about him because he had gotten sick, Paul says he was sick to the point of almost dying, and God spared him. But Just in that, like, Paul says he risked his life for him. We don't know any of, this, know any of the details of that. We don't know if he got sick while he was hanging out in prison. We, we don't know if he got sick because he was traveling and he got sick on the way. We, I, we don't know. He might have... He might have stopped on the way and eaten some of those yellow watermelons on ice. He might have done that. <laughs> Could have happened. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me in the youth group. It's just our moment. We don't know how he got sick. And you, we know a lot of reasons why people get sick. There's germs, there's, there's bugs, there's bacteria, all these things. And Paul says... He nearly died, verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking your service to me. So Paul says his getting sick was one of the risks that he took on himself in order to do the thing that God had called him to do. That the, the thought or the idea or the fear of I might get sick and die was no hindrance to Epaphroditus at all. I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot like what I should do with that. I feel like I should just maybe tear that out of my notes and put it down there and y'all pick it up later. Like that's kind of crazy, right? So I think about suffering for Christ. I think about beatings or imprisonment or torture. I don't think about, wow, you could just get sick. Epaphroditus is called a servant, a man of honor, receiving with joy because when he came he got sick and that was part of the risk that he took on so that he could fulfill the ministry that God had called him to. It's just a reminder these kind of role models, when, they're, when you really put others first, when you really consider others more significant than yourselves, it, it might cost you some things. It, it, it might create some risk and some danger. Epaphroditus is like, I'm, I'm here to serve. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I was thinking about Epaphroditus, and I was thinking about so many other role models and examples that are like that. And the, the one person that came to my mind was a guy named Adoniram Judson. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Adoniram Judson. He was one, one of the more famous missionaries in modern times, it was, if you call it 1800s modern times. He, he, was, he was a missionary to ended up in the, in the country of Burma. It's now called Myanmar. But it was at the time when you didn't hop on a plane and then zoom back with your parents. You know, like he hopped on a boat and it went forever. But God had called him to go to Burma. Really, he thought he was going to India, he ended up in Burma. So God had called him to go to South Asia for the gospel because people there had never heard the story of Jesus. And he's like, we have to go. And so he knew he was going to go. He signed up to go. He enlisted to go. He was being sent to go. But he also was in love with this girl. And her name was Anne. And he wanted to marry her and then he wanted to take her with him. And he knew that if he was going to marry her, he's going to ask a lot of her. But he also knew that he had to ask her dad's permission for this, which, guys, in case you don't know, that's part of it. Okay, you have to do that. And so he wrote this letter that became famous to his future father-in-law. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you so you can follow along, but I'm going to read it to you because I want you to, like, I want us to feel kind of the weight of this letter, what he was asking his future father-in-law to do in giving... uh, Anne's hand in marriage to him. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure for a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want, distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can can you let your daughter go for all those? And then he says, Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home? Philippians 2. And died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls? For the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise. Which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair will you let your daughter go into a life of pain suffering and probably a violent death because he's worth it because Jesus is worth that kind of sacrifice can can you let your daughter go for that girls if you're single in here that's who you're looking for guys if you're single in here he's him <laughs> he is, he's him. He's the role model. We, we need role models like that. We need to read those kinds of stories more often. Because Epaphroditus, as Paul said, look at him. Family member, brother in Christ, worker, soldier, messenger, minister, checks all the boxes, look at him. He's a great example. And he's saying, now, you and me, that's who we need to be. Let, let's be like that. We, we as the church, can become role models. We, get, we need these role models. Then we can become role models for a lost and dying world around us. We can become role models for the next generation, and some of you older kids, students, can become role models for the younger students. That—that's what he's calling you to do: to be a role model like this, because your family, because we're working together, because we're fighting together, because you have a message to share, and you have a ministry that God has given you. Uh, at the beginning of the service, we sang, "I'll follow you anywhere." Nick knows it's one of my favorite songs sometimes I stop while I'm singing it because I'm like will I I mean that bridge wherever he leads me whatever it costs me all I want is you all I want is you Epaphroditus Adoniram Judson, yeah they could sing those songs can we if uh, We want to sing, I stand strong and worship you. Even if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. That's what God's calling us to. This Adoniram Judson guy, the dad said yes. And they left in the early 1800s to sail for India and ultimately to Burma. and never went back home. She died in Burma. She lost two kids before she died. And then her third child died six months after she died. She died after a long, long, bad battle with disease and sickness. Adoniram Judson stayed and ministered in Burma, died many years later. When he died, 100 churches were left in Burma and 8,000 Burmese believers. His translation of the Bible is still used in Myanmar today. In 1993, the head of the Myanmar Evangelical fellowships stated this, today there are six million Christians in Myanmar and every one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Whatever it costs, wherever he leads, I'll follow him anywhere. Let's be the church that says that and really does that and shows the world that kind of devotion, because he is worth it. Would you pray? God, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for how it challenges us, teaches us, it corrects us, it brings us back into line with what you're doing. It shows us how great you are and how we should respond to your greatness. So God, I pray that today, like, like every other Sunday, that you would help us to not just be hearers of this word but be doers of this word as well that it will impact our lives and we'll put it into practice god we pray that for your glory and because of jesus amen